Well, after we win our playoff game and we're peaking and we're going to the final four, I want Dallas. Like, I don't want anybody else. Like, we want to beat Dallas. Hello, and welcome to the Raleigh Pearlton Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Mead. We're here to connect you with the players and personalities of North Carolina semi-professional Ultimate Frisbee. Today, I'll be talking to Josh Hartzog. Josh originally first played competitively in college at Elon University here in North Carolina in 2007. After playing college, he played club for Dose, Wagon Wheel, Old North State, Cash Crop, and ultimately for the last five years, Ring of Fire. Part of the Flyers roster since 2015 for the inaugural season has played every year since, including being a captain in 2019, and just recently was named as a captain for the 2021 Raleigh Flyers as well. Along with playing, he's also coached high school open and high school girls for the last nine years, including a U16 boys YCC for four years. Josh is a science teacher by day as well, which I think kind of speaks to the kind of character he is as far as a person who wants to give back. You'll hear him talk a lot about his desire to give back to the community from the things he's learned. And I think the other thing about Josh too that's different from some of the other people we've interviewed so far is Josh definitely did what I would call a more traditional path into Elite Ultimate where he didn't start off playing really young. He found Frisbee ultimately in kind of late high school, early college, and then had to work and grind his way up into the elite level. And I just think that that makes his journey and his his thoughts particularly interesting. So hope you enjoy. This is Josh Hartzog. All right. Today on the Raleigh Proltman podcast, we're talking to Josh Hartzog. How's it going, Josh? Hey, good morning. How's it going? Living the dream, man. So we're going to start this the same way we always do, which is tell us a little about you and what's your story as not just a Frisbee player, but as a person. Well, I was born uh, at Durham at the time Regional Hospital, which is actually right next to Durham County Stadium where we are playing our games this year. So you can actually see that. And that's actually the same place that my wife was born uh, and then also our son. So got a lot of family connections there. And so I was born in Durham, raised in Durham for a while. And then my parents got divorced. Uh, We moved to Chapel Hill and I actually mostly went to the Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools growing up. And then I went to Elon University. From there, I afterwards uh, actually worked in Greensboro for a little bit as a teacher. And then my high school back home, the one that I went to, East Chapel Hill High School, they had a teacher leave halfway through the year. And so I interviewed and got the job halfway through the year. And I've been working here ever since. This is a good spot. So I like it a lot. So yeah, so I've been I've been a teacher here. I teach physical science and AP biology. I've kind of taught, you know, whatever's needed along the way, but that's kind of what I've been teaching for a long time. I super have a good time with that. Obviously the pandemic has made teaching a little bit more difficult this year. Definitely looking forward to next year. I think be back to normal with that. I actually get to do some hands-on labs and activities and stuff. And then I also attend the church that I grew up in, which is just down the road, the Bible church. It's the, the same one that we've been going to since I was a kid. And I met my wife because a mutual friend who was in her Bible study and who was a teacher here at East with me set us up on a blind date. And so we met at Armadillo Grill in Carborough, and apparently that was good enough for her. So 
We got married in 2017 in December, which is always confusing because December is a tough month for stuff because then you don't remember how to count properly. So, and then we had our son Judah last year in January. So January, 2020. So, you know, the pandemic in some ways has obviously been really tough, but in some ways it's been really nice because I've been able to spend a lot more time with him than I normally would be able to. So going back to you're a science teacher. So what got you into science and wanting to teach that? Well, I had just a lot of really awesome teachers growing up, especially in the sciences. And I think that they just kind of inspired me to be curious about how the world works, which I think that's really what science is about, is kind of explaining why things are the way they are. And apparently my freshman year, I don't remember this specifically, but my counselor does. I went in my freshman year and met my counselor and said, I want to be a science teacher here at East. And I'm a science teacher here at East, so kind of crazy how, how things work out. Yeah, I just I just had great teachers that inspired me, and I, I wanted to be like them. What year of teaching is this for you? This is my ninth year of teaching. So, yeah, pretty pretty crazy it's been, been this long. I'm just wrapping up my sixth year of teaching, so I, I totally understand that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> what is your yeah. wife's name? What does she do? Uh, my wife's name is Michelle. She is an audiologist with Duke. She basically works with folks who have hearing loss doing diagnostics, and then also getting them hearing aids and programming them and things like that. I, I hate to ask this question, but outside of obviously spending time with your family, what do you do that isn't Frisbee? Oh, uh, well, I do a lot of like kind of woodworking type stuff and construction and building things around our house. I was in Boy Scouts and we did a fair amount of that kind of thing for service projects and things like that. For my Eagle Scout, I built a little amphitheater kind of thing, outdoor area for my church. And so, yeah, I've just kind of always enjoyed that kind of thing. We bought our house and it was a fixer upper in many ways. So I've, we've been slowly fixing it up. During the pandemic, I actually gutted and redid a bathroom. So that was quite an enjoyable experience. And then, you know, I've done some like built-in cabinets, uh, bookshelves, things like that. And we actually had a tree come down last year as, as well. So I've got that drying currently and I'm going to be building some play equipment for Judah and a table and some stuff this summer once I've got some time off again. I was about to ask, did you build Judah's crib? I did build Judah's crib. That is correct. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's definitely a special thing and it's just fun to do. Frustrating at times when you make a mistake, but you know, cause you, you have to measure twice and cut once. And uh, sometimes I go a little too fast, but you know, that's part of, part of the process. So moving over to Frisbee for a little bit. So what's your Frisbee story? How did you get into Frisbee? What was the, what sports did you play before you started? Cause most of us didn't just start when we were eight, like saw Yannick. So what's your kind of Frisbee evolution? Yeah, so I kind of growing up just kind of did the traditional play a lot of different sports, but wasn't ever really super committed to any one thing. And in fact, I almost, I basically kind of stopped playing sports. I, I tried out for the baseball team in middle school and couldn't hit, so I got cut. So I actually did not play like organized sports be between middle school and then the middle of high school. But my Boy Scout troop that I mentioned, we played ultimate and, you know, it was kind of just like, 30 people on the field, 15 versus 15, and, you know, not very organized. And then I also played at a summer camp, Duke Tip, which is the same idea, just kind of, you know, 15 on 15, not super organized and, you know, just kind of throwing the disc around. And so it's the I, best, and, it's the yeah. best 15 v yeah. 15, whoever can chunk it the farthest, whoever's the tallest. Oh yeah. And, and, and I had a huge backhand, which is not, not much has changed. So I basically could just chunk it with a huge backhand and that was about it. So 
just kind of did that for a while. And then I played, eventually got into football in high school, but, uh, and I played right tackle at 175 pounds. So that tells you how good my football team was, you know, went to college and was like, okay, probably can't continue with football, not got the best build for that. And, you know, I played a lot of ultimate before, and I really enjoyed, you know, what I, my experience with that. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do. So I sent an email to the captains in like in the summer uh, at Elon and was like, Hey, you know, I want to join the team. And I think that they were just, you know, I don't think anybody had ever done that before, like contacted them ahead of time to ask if they could, you know, be a part of the team or whatever. And so, yeah, I, I hopped onto the team actually was able to like go to kind of some of the pre club week things, which is technically illegal. You're not supposed to have the freshmen there because you know, you're whatever showing favoritism or some stupidness like that. So but I was able to go play and yeah, so that's how I got into competitive ultimate at least was, was starting to play at Elon. Yeah. And I, I had the same experience and I feel like a lot of people do where they, they tinker in it in middle school, high school and get introduced. And then once the, they find competitive in college. So what was, what was Elon like as a, as a Frisbee team? Was it pretty small? Was there the numbers? Okay. Did you get to go to any big tournaments? Was it like a sectionals or regionals level team? I mean, what was your experience through college? Like, yeah. So Elon was interesting because this was pre-Division three, And so we were obviously a much smaller level in the Division one world. So, you know, we, we had good numbers consistently, you know, probably in the 20 to 25 range. So you know, we had three lines or so, and it was, it was a good time. I mean, we would go to like things like Ultimax at ECU and we didn't, we didn't go to like any of the, like we would go to Queen City back when, you know, teams of our caliber would actually be invited to it. And, you know, we would play against the big teams and we were, we were competitive, but we weren't like, we were not a team that was going to make super noise. You know, at sectionals, we would typically make it to the second day, but then get bounced out in the first round type of deal. And it was a, you know, it was still a fun experience. Like definitely learned a lot. I think one thing that kind of made things trickier was that we had no coach you know, it was just captains figuring things out. And that's certainly tough to do when you're playing against a bunch of teams that have coaches and, you know, kind of have a lot more structure and, and kind of know what they're getting into. My senior year was w- the first year of division three. And so we were D3 that year. And so that year we did make it to regionals. And that year was, was tough because there's another guy who was going to be in my year, a senior who graduated a year early, and he went on to play for DC Breeze and truck stop, Brian Marshall. And so we lost him. And then we also lost our, probably our other best player, Graham Gilly to a knee injury. And I think he tore his ACL or MCL uh, in the fall. And so we lost him for the year. And so we lost, you know, two of our three best players that year and just unfortunately weren't able to make it. I mean, we still got third in the region, but I think we could have been a nationals team that year had had we not lost some of our, our best talent that year. So, but that was still, a, a, again, a, a great experience. It was, it was nice to play against other teams like us, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of size of school and nobody had coaches. And so, yeah, that was, it was definitely a, a fun year. So then eventually you do work your way onto the kind of elite circuit, quote unquote, between ring and obviously flyers. So what, what, what did that transition look like? At what point did you start really like taking care of your body and kind of dedicating all of your time into that? Yeah. So after my, after I graduated, I I did not play club during college um, because I was working at a summer camp in the summers and it's just not feasible to do both. 
after college, that's when I was like, okay, I you know, I want to go play, you know, continue to play. Um, and hurt. We'd played back in those days, college teams would go to club regionals. So like we had played against ring. Uh, I think at one point we got a break on them and we're up to zero in a game, which was obviously amazing. And then of course we proceeded to lose 15, three, but we had played against them in Los, um, and, you know, X rates and stuff at, at club sectionals. And so, you know, I knew the teams that were out there. And so, you know, I went to cash crop tryouts, which was actually that first year in 2012 and didn't make the team. And so I ended up on kind of a reincarnation of Los called Dose that actually was at the time, like a super talented team with a bunch of people who didn't know what they were doing. So John Nethercutt was on that team. Uh, Trent Dillon was on that team. Jacob Mao was on that team. So there was a lot of like, you know, really talented players who were not anywhere near what they were supposed to be. So we, you know, went to club sectionals and, and lost out there, didn't make it to regionals. And so the next year, I tried out again for cash crop, but got cut. But I also tried out for the one of the mixed teams at the time uh, who had been to nationals, which was Wagon Wheel. And I did make that team, which was great. And that was kind of my first introduction to a little bit higher level of ultimate. And I got some real, really good coaching from coaching from the captains, Evan and Julie. And so that was kind of my first like, okay, if I want to like be good, I need to actually like have some discipline and like learn some things and like you know, see the game in like a different way. And that's when I started to probably get more serious about like working out and lifting on a regular basis. And then the following year, that team actually folded. And so we tried out again for cash crop and got cut. I think I tried out for ring as well that year and got cut. And so that year we started a new kind of lower level team, Old North State, which again, kind of a lot of the guys who didn't make all the other teams were on. And that was a good experience. I captained that team and, you know, we worked hard, but it was a struggle to get numbers, you know, kind of the classic story of, of a, of a lower level team with guys that just kind of come in and out and aren't quite as committed. And so uh, after that year was the year that cash crop and ring combined together in 2014. And so I tried out for ring and didn't make it, but they selected me to be a captain for cash crop to kind of help helm that as like a developmental team for ring. And so that year was, was a lot of fun. That's when guys like Saul and Matt, actually, I don't think Matt was a part of that. I think Saul was a part of that team though. And JD and D rich, like a lot of those guys got their start on that cash crop team in terms of the club scene. And so we had a lot of fun that year. We made it to regionals and played against chain and we had the game. It was 12, 11. We had the disc on the goal line to score and to bring it to 12s and we turned it over and we ended up losing 14, 12. And that was the game to go to the game to go. So that was, that was a pretty awesome experience. And then the next year, same deal, captained cash crop. That was the first year that of flyers in 2015. And so I made the flyers roster but it was a uh, that year was kind of weird because of the way the season worked. We had a kind of a group of guys who were like conditionally on the roster for the first half of the season. And then there were going to be a bunch of college guys who were going to be kind of onboarded to the roster. And so I was a part of that conditional group. And so I played in all the games that I was available for, but then was cut after that kind of initial period. 
And so then I was kind of, you know, again, captaining cash crop that year. I think that was the first year that Gooch played on the team. And that year was um, probably one of the like most like enjoyable, one of the more enjoyable experiences I've been a part of because at regionals that year, we got to play chain again. And again, this was in like somewhere in the, in the backdoor bracket and we beat them. And that was the like knocking them off of their national streak. And so that was, that was super fun. And then we were totally gassed right after that and lost to turbine. Um, but it was kind of like, you know, we had our big moment. We, we beat chain. And so then the following year, that's when I made the full flyers roster and made the ring roster full time. And so I've been playing with, with those teams ever since. And so you really had to work your way through the process. It's not like some of these guys who were kind of get training from really young and, and work through. So how can you talk a little bit about like what, how that kind of shaped you as not just like a, a Frisbee player and as a person on the team, but also like as a teammate? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I think like I've had to be somebody who has in many ways had to figure it out on my own because, you know, other than, uh, you know, until, until I made the flyers in 2015, I did not have a coach. And so it was, you know, there were captains along the way that helped and added stuff, but it's, it's tough as a captain by yourself to really see everything that's going on because you're also playing. And so, you know, it was a lot of me having to self-assess and, you know, after tryouts every year, whenever I got that cut call or cut email, you know, I would always reach back out and I would always ask like, what are the things, like, what is it that I need to be working on? Like, what are the things that I need to do? And it was really like about figuring out how can I achieve those goals. And so I've, as a teammate, I think like I've always been trying to figure out how I can help other people also reach those goals, like by pushing, by pushing others. And I think another thing is that, you know, as I've kind of risen in the leadership uh, and kind of seniority on ring and flyers is looking for those guys who are in a similar position to me, who maybe are not polished yet or things like that, but are the guys who are, you know, are going to work hard and who are going to be positive contributors to the team, not maybe just only on the field, but also in culture and like going to be, be putting in the work, you know, consistently um, throughout, you know, what, whatever opportunities they get, they're going to take full advantage of them. Awesome. One more thing, just kind of with your Frisbee story. Uh, so obviously you got to play on that inaugural season of the Flyers and have been on, you've been on the team every single year since then. So can you talk a little bit about Flyers as a team and as an organization, just how has the group evolved? How has the leadership evolved? Uh, again, you obviously yourself kind of rose in those, those ranks over time. So how, like, were there particular seasons that you've enjoyed the most? Is there particular groups you've enjoyed the most? Um, just like, what have your, what has been your experience as a Raleigh Flyer? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been interesting to watch things kind of change and evolve over time. I mean, to I mean, to start with, like, just like an understanding of what the structure of pro ultimate is versus club ultimate, you know, like, since, you know, in 2015, you know, we played and like, 
Mike was like, okay, let's take advantage of the fact that we can double team by rolling it out the side, you know, and we double teamed like, and then that was the only time we ever double teamed, you know, like, and now this year we're, you know, and, and last year, well, last year and this year, we're talking about like, how can we more effectively like integrate double teams into like our, you know, defensive like philosophy. And so it's like, it's things, it's things like that that have shifted over time is like an understanding of like, the rules and how can we better use those rules to our advantage on the field. I think also another thing that has changed over time has been the way that we try to build the team culture. And so I think from the beginning, it was kind of like the Flyers was in some ways kind of an add-on to the club scene. And I think that over time, the Flyers has become more of like us a focal point something to like really invest in and be involved in uh and i think you're gonna see that especially this year i think we've really been building towards this you know preseason a team that's really invested in the flyers as an entity and as an organization and a team on that note let's talk 2021 so first and foremost for me what do you most want from the flyers as a team this year um I've been reading a, a book by John Wooden on leadership. Uh, for those who don't know, John Wooden, the winning, one of the winningest coaches of all time in uh, men's college basketball, you know, a bunch of titles at UCLA, stuff like that. And he, in his book, talks about defining success. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He talks about defining success and he defines it as the self-satisfaction you get from knowing that you have done everything you could to be your best. And that's what I want for us. I want for us to, at the end of the season, to say we did everything we could to be our best. And, you know, having been on this team and on ring for the past, you know, four or five years, we've experienced a lot of heartache at the end of the season. And I think part of it is that we knew that we could have maybe done more during this season. It's that the outcome obviously hurts. And like part of like having emotional investment with teammates is that when it, it ends and it ends in the way that it has for us so many times, it hurts a lot more. But what I want is for that hurt to also come along with like a sense of, you know what, if, if that's the way the season ends this year, we did everything we could along the way. And that the road that we traveled was, was, was worth it even if it's not the outcome that we want. Yeah, and that's definitely a sense I've gotten from a lot of different players among you guys. So I think that the vision there is really unified, which frankly makes it really exciting as a fan. Is there a particular matchup? Uh, obviously this year we're in the Super Atlantic Division where we literally play, it feels like half the league, which is so exciting. But is there a particular matchup you're most looking forward to, especially now that we have the schedule? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely have that New York game circled on the calendar. It's unfortunate we only get to play them once this year, but yeah. Absolutely looking forward to playing New York. Uh, I missed that game in 2019 because of a personal conflict. And so, you know, watching us lose that game was tough. So I'm definitely excited to play them. One, uh, you know, they're the best team in the division. We need to go take it to them. And I'm looking forward to that opportunity. So you get a magic wand and you can wave it over the team at one particular player and see them kind of peak within their role or within them as a player. Uh, who would you wave that wand at? Yeah, um, I mean, I think David Richardson, D. Rich, is like 
primed to like just go off this year. I mean, he's been our leader in blocks for a long time, but I feel like he's going to really explode in terms of his offensive contributions to the D-line. I've been really impressed with his like conditioning and physical shape. Like he's just out there grinding and practices right now. And his throws uh, have improved significantly over the last year. And so I'm just like really excited to see him just go to work on people. And then just kind of like a secondary shout out to Alex Davis. He played on ring in 2019. And I think, you know, he's going to just like be electric on the AUDL field. His speed is just going to be just super deadly. And again, like going to just be, uh, I think a really big contributor on the D line by the end of the year. So we'll say the team is peaking, whatever that means. And you get to dictate what the next matchup is going to be. Who do you want to play? Well, after we win our playoff game and we're peaking and we're going to the final four, I want Dallas. Like, I don't want anybody else. Like, we want to beat Dallas. That's, you know, that's the person that everybody thinks that we can, the team that everybody thinks that we can't beat. And I think that in the past, we probably believed that too. And like, we have to, we, you know, I, we want to beat them to win the championship. Uh, yeah. And that's another one everyone's saying, and I feel the exact same way as a guy from Texas. <laughs> Love to stick it to them this year. What's uh, your favorite fan reaction that gets you the most hyped? Oh, I got to give a shout out to the hangar. Those are my guys. You know, those are the guys that I play play league with a lot. And whenever they start chanting, try hard Zog after like, you know, I score or do something on the field, that, that definitely amps me up. I love it. Is Henry Fisher the best dancer on the Flyers? Uh, Henry Fisher is for sure not the best dancer on the Flyers. Don't let him tell you otherwise. If it's not him, who is? It's probably AD, Alex Davis. He's, he, I think he's definitely got the smoothest moods. Okay. Who's the best motivational speaker on the Flyers? I'm guessing you've probably heard this one before, but Noah. Noah is absolutely the best motivational speaker. And I mean, I've been on teams with him for so many years now, and he always gives the best speech to get us going before whatever game we need to. If it's not a game, he still gives a speech and everybody's ready to fight. You know, we had a team culture meeting. And so, you know, we're just chilling in Tim's backyard, you know, talking about what we want to be and those kinds of stuff. And, you know, he gives a speech at the end and like, everybody's just like, all right, it's nine o'clock, but like, let's go like, where are my cleats? Like, I want to play right now. So yeah, Noah, Noah's definitely the guy who gives the best speeches. So what's the spiciest hot take you have for this upcoming season? Spiciest hot take. I don't know. I'm not really a hot take guy. I tend to be pretty, you know, calm uh, and pretty even keeled. Uh, kind of have to be as a teacher. I guess my spiciest hot take would be that I think that Eric Taylor might lead the league in assists. That would be my spiciest hot take. I don't think it's that spicy, but I love it. <laughs> So you've been kind of in a cool role where you've obviously, like we've talked about earlier, been on the team for um, the entire team's existence. So um, you've played with a ton of players throughout that time. And so is there any one particular player you've enjoyed playing with or having as a teammate who's no longer on the team? Probably one of the like best teammates that I've gotten to have um, on the Flyers has been Ben Dieter. Dieter is just like, one of those guys that you just watch play and you're like, man, I wish that I could play like him. He's just so, such a smooth operator, knows exactly what he's capable of doing and just like executes his role until perfection. And then just also like 
a great teammate, like always has your back, always like giving you dap and, you know, there to pump you up, like when things, you know, aren't right or, you know, whatever. So yeah, Dieter has definitely been the guy that um, I miss the most and looking forward to playing with uh, hopefully in, in masters. And Dieter played the first year only first two years. How long did he play? I, I believe he played the first two years for sure. In 2017, I think he might have been on the roster for a couple games as kind of like an auxiliary player, but uh, I don't think he was he was uh, as quite as committed. He just, you know, life stuff had. I think he had just had his second son and uh, second child and couldn't quite commit to the 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 full grind. Now, of course, he's off catching deeps for Boneyard for the, our local Masters team and been doing that, winning championships or getting into the finals with them. So And playing on the mixed team that went to Nationals in 2019 and got like eighth place or whatever, you know, from like 15th. Freaking ridiculous. It's He's incredible. I've gotten to play him a couple times and just like in awe of the stuff he still does when he's, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's tremendous. Yeah. If you could trade for any player in the league, who would you trade for? I would like Jack back. Jack is, you know, just such a unique dynamic and, you know, uh, fortunately we've got to continue to play with him with ring the last few seasons, um, which was, is obviously really nice because it sucks to play against him. But then once you, once you get him back on your team, he's, he's just such a dynamic player. He just changes the geometry on the field. And yeah, I, I would definitely want Jack back. I would, I would pay him a max salary. That's kind of low hanging fruit though. Is there any other player other than Jack? I mean, is it cheating to just say yacht? I mean, he's the league MVP. Like, that's like pretty like straightforward. No, not at all. <laughs> so let's flip it. Is there? Uh, let's say you you it's twenty years from now and they have a draft now and you can get drafted to another team. Is there another team that you would be most excited to play for? Whether it's because of the city that they're in or the coaching they have or just some of the players? Like, where where other than the Flyers would you would you most be excited to play? I feel like San Diego would be a, would be a fun team to go play with. I mean, I, I love goose got to play with him for a little while. Um, and they seem like they have a really fun vibe going on over there. Like they look, whenever you watch them play, they look like they're just having a good time, enjoying, enjoying each other, enjoying themselves. And we've been to San Diego with, with for club championships and it's a beautiful area. So, you know, can't say no to seventies and sun for three fourths of the year. My favorite question of all is, so obviously, again, we're part of this big super Atlantic division with eight teams. So my, my challenge for you is not, not including the Flyers. So of the other seven teams, are you willing to rank those teams from, from top to bottom? Ooh, okay. Well, I, I, I feel like we have to put New York at the top because they've, they've proved it. They, they've, it looks like they're bringing back just about the whole gang. Um, I would probably put a second i think i would put dc third and then pit and then atlanta and then philadelphia and tampa did i get them all you missed boston which i think boston. is the most interesting oh. one mm, boston well you know the boston club teams have been kind of trash the last few years so you know I don't know. I mean, I feel like it, obviously it's a little different because it's pro. So they're going to be pulling probably some of their mixed men, which are, you know, there's so many talented players in Boston, but it's also their first year in the league. So I think they're going to struggle at first, but maybe by the end of the year, I could see them being like in that mix for the playoff spot. I'll slot them in right behind Pittsburgh for now, just on the talent that they have. 
So that's kind of a hot take because a lot of people have been really high on Atlanta. So to have them all the way down at six is interesting. I don't really see. I feel like their additions don't mesh with the style of play that they played with over the last several years, which was much more of a small ball. No, don't huck it. And now they're adding all these guys that it's kind of like we want to huck it. So I'm, I'm curious to see in our first game. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate in some ways that we're playing them first because we don't, we won't know exactly what their style is until, you know, the end of the first quarter. So it'll be, I think that's going to be a really interesting first game because of the fact that they've added on these different pieces. Like, are they going to continue to play the same style or are they going to mix it up? And that's actually, so one of the cool things about the way the schedule's built is we play Atlanta and DC in the first two games. And then we play them again at the end of the season you know, but flipped. So where, where we had home and away games before is not the other way around. So I think it'll be cool kind of seeing, you know, what the teams looked like from both sides early in the season. And then we get them again at the end to kind of cap off before we go into the postseason. So it's I actually really like that scheduling quirk. It's cool. Moving away from the Flyers specific stuff, just talking about ultimate in general, uh, what's your favorite specific moment or motif that you've had within ultimate? Well, one of the things I haven't really mentioned is that I've coached a lot and uh, I've, I coach at the, at East Chapel Hill High School. And then I've also coached the YCC teams. And I think one of the best things that I feel like I've accomplished in my ultimate career is that I was one of the people who kind of helped get the girls ultimate scene going in the triangle. Me and some of the other coaches at the time basically kind of founded a conglomerate team uh, because at the time there weren't individual high school girls teams and so we basically just took all of the girls that were playing ultimate put them onto one team and we just gave them opportunities to play together and so those teams called saga was super fun and we won a bunch of tournaments and you know won the southern's championships rip and so those were that was super fun like i just i feel like the like bringing those girls together and then getting us get, getting enough growth to then be able to kind of spark the growth of girls ultimate throughout the triangle. And just like, you know, all the success that Warhawks have had and Kitty Hawks um, in, at the YCC scene and the tourists and everything. Like, I feel like that has, that is like a legacy that I am very, very pleased with and glad that other people have been able to kind of step up and take over as I have I still coach the girls team here at East and like, it's been super fun and we've had a blast and, and we've been, we've been successful at times too, which has been, which has been really, really fun. So I think that that's my, the, the thing that I'm the most kind of proud of. I don't know if irony is the right word, but I think it's beautiful. And there's that earlier you talked about one of the most frustrating things as part of your kind of development has been that you didn't have a coach for so long until you made flyers. And so now you turning around and giving that back to all these players who wouldn't have had that opportunity. Otherwise, I definitely did not have a coach through college and frankly, I have yet to really play under a coach myself yet. And so I, I I'm hoping to do that myself someday, especially once my playing career is done. But uh, yeah, I think that that's really cool. It's yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things that I think, and, and and this has been talked about in a lot of different venues, but like it's one of the things that is still kind of retarding the growth of Ultimate is a lack of coaches, and it's understandable why. Like it's volunteer positions, you know, people are generally not getting paid, but it's so important for players' growth and development, and you know, and their enjoyment of the of playing is to have good coaches. What's the best trip you've ever been on for frisbee? Ah. Uh, 
um, back in 2014, before I actually officially made Ring, they invited uh, me to go with them to play at TEP, which is a tournament that occurs in Medellin in Colombia. And so that was super awesome. I mean, it was basically like, hey, go hang out in Colombia for a week and play Ultimate like along the way. So like that was super fun. Just an amazing experience. Super great time. We became really good friends with one of the teams over there because we did like a clinic with them. And so like we would just hang out in the city with them. And yeah, that was that was a super, super amazing trip. Like definitely, definitely my highlight uh, of kind of my career. Traveling abroad for ultimate, definitely the dream. Absolutely. Do you have any tips for players, whether they're brand new players or players kind of working their way into the elite scene? Just like advice generally, especially since you've done so much coaching and, and been through this journey yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously if you define success by outcomes, then you're going to, it's going to be harder for you to like be able to deal with situations that don't go the way you want them to. And so that's been very true over my, the entirety of my ultimate career. You know, I was cut a lot over the first five or six years that I played. And so you have to be able to define success by other metrics. So thinking about process goals, you know, are you trying to improve rather than trying to win, you know, trying to be your best rather than necessarily trying to make a team because, you know, you can be a really great player and like do good things, but maybe the team just doesn't need your role. And like, you know, if you, if you define your success by necessarily making the team, you know, or, you know, in the process of a, of a game, right? Like you can play an amazing game and still lose. You know, there are a lot of things that are outside of your control as a player. And so being able to focus on the things that are inside your control and defining success by those things and, and instead of the things that are outside of your control, I think that that's like a huge like skill to be able to learn. Uh, and it's something that translates to the rest of your life too, right? Like most people think that they have a lot of control over their lives. And the reality is that you don't, you have very little control over your life and getting to a point where you can accept that and not like go into nihilism where you just say that nothing matters is like a balance. And I think it's like a, a an important skill to have. And I think the other thing is to like, my other tip is like approach practice with joy and intentionality. We actually, if you think about it, play uh, for a lot more time of our careers in practice. Those of you who like play competitively, right? Like you attend way more practices than you do games. And so if you view practice as just like a means to an end of like, oh, I have to go through the motions to get to play. Like you're not going to be maximizing your potential. You're not going to be learning and growing. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that like helped me to get to the point of, of my career where I am, where, you know, I'm often on, uh, and I've been a captain on flyers for a couple of years and like, I'm a starting D line player and I play, you know, a lot. And, you know, it's because I approach practice with joy and intentionality. Like I genuinely enjoy practicing because practice is just playing. You're playing the game that you want to play. Like, yes, it's not the game where you get to, you know, compete and like, you know, show up against, you know, in front of the crowd and against play people and like playing for a championship, but like, you're still getting to play the game. And, you know, part of that is being intentional, you know, being intentional about what is it that you're trying to do in a given moment, like in a specific drill, like, what is it that we're trying to accomplish and like working on that specific thing or, you know, like, what is it in this scrimmage that I want to work on? Like, what are my kind of like big picture goals that I as a player want to improve on? 
what are the kind of micro goals that I should be working on within this thing? And I think if you do that, if you approach your practices with joy and intentionality, you're going to enjoy the, that experience and you're going to get a lot out of it and it's going to make you a better player. What's your favorite team, uh, Frisbee team or game you've ever watched that you didn't play in? Hmm. I mean, I always enjoy watching phoenix play like i think that they're they're super fun and actually in 2019 nationals we watched them play um scandal at uh in the quarterfinals and like that was a just a super fun game to watch they were clearly just enjoying themselves like having an amazing time like it was like you know a close enough game that like you know it was there was some drama to it but they also just like they were dominating. And so it was, you know, you're rooting for them because they're your friends. And like, it was just fun to like watch them uh, play it out uh, and and get that that big quarterfinals win or I guess pre-quarters win. I can't remember exactly. It was fun to watch them beat Scandal. <laughs> Definitely an upset too. That that team came in very vaunted for, for Scandal, so. Yeah, absolutely. What's the worst ultimate game you've ever played in? <sighs> well... I guess it depends on how we're defining worst. Um, I will define worst as the like worst experience. And the worst experience I've ever had playing Ultimate was in college. There was a tournament at ECU or or not ECU at Wilmington called Wilmington Eights back in the day with the UOA for those of you that are old school. That was the uh, kind of breakaway observer association where the observers were a little bit more active. They called called stuff kind of more like the rest in the AUDL but they didn't call fouls or things like that they would just call kind of travels and um, picks and in out you know the stuff that like the minutiae of the game that probably should be called by somebody else and not just the players but anyways it snowed about four inches the night before the tournament and they were like oh these are grass fields yeah let's go out here and play so we played on four inches of snow and by the end of the first game it was just cold mud it was just cold mud the fields were destroyed and we basically just spent the day running around in cold water and mud and we were so cold we were so tired they canceled the tournament for sunday so we only played on saturday we all just went to the hotels and like got under the like hot water and then just like curled up in our beds that was it was so sloppy like it was brutal I love that this question elicits always weather things, except for Henry Fisher, who has a specific, like, <laughs> I hate losing to Florida game. And that everyone else was like, oh, this one time weather was absolutely awful. But I, I had a yeah. similar experience with a, a tournament at the University of Texas in at Centix, which happens every year, uh, where they, they they put all the the tier, the gold tier teams on turf on this, like, horrible weather day. And they put the rest of us in what affectionately became known as the Mud Bowl. Um, yeah. I remember reading about that. Yeah. It, it was it was an experience though. And it, we, well, anyway, that's, that's not relevant, but <laughs> all right. So this last section I do with everyone is this give and go. Uh, these are quick answers. Obviously, if you have a really good one that you would like to add more things to uh, feel free, but generally we're looking for one to two sentences. So uh, yeah, you ready for some give and go? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So first question, would you prefer to get the bidding under D to get the turn or a huge sky upwind for the score? Definitely would prefer to lay out for the D. There's nothing purer than getting full contact on the disc. Definition of a great teammate. Always there for you. Scuba or hammer? Hammer. Favorite fan reaction at a game? Booze. And we're supposed to have beer in the stadium this year. Mike was pretty excited to talk about that. Oh, that's exciting. Have you ever eaten 12 eggs in one sitting? Wink, wink, a la Eric. 
I have definitely not been as weird as Eric and eaten 12 eggs in one sitting. I'm hoping someone actually has, but we'll see. <laughs> Flick or backhand? Uh, Got to go with the backhand. Got to crank the big backhand. What is your favorite cereal? Ooh, good question. Quaker Oats uh, oatmeal squares. They're big and chunky, and they've got a really good crunch to them with a little cinnamon on them. Who inspires you? That's a good question. Uh, I would say my dad. My dad is the person who who most inspires me. He's just he's got that kind of like just like always there for you you know good relentless work ethic just like you know the person that i i would like to most emulate hamburger hot dog or taco i probably would say hamburger as long as it's well cooked with lots of topics what is your favorite offense uh, I really like really like uh, Fert stack. I like having both the break and the force side to be able to hit. Good thing we run a lot of that on the Flyers. <laughs> Favorite defense? Uh, I really like our clam defensive set. I was recently watching some film and just like I, I play up front in zones and just like the flow and fluidity within that clam set up front is a lot of fun to play in. What's the most satisfying win you've ever had with an ultimate? Well, up until last, up until 2019, I probably would have said that win over chain. I will update that to 2019 when we beat truck in the quarterfinals. And that was because that was the first time that I in club where I felt like I had a chance to really contribute to that win. And like, like I actually made some plays and did some things within that game to where I felt like I had actually put a stamp on the win. What's the worst loss you've ever experienced in Ultimate? We can just have a tie between all of the losses to Dallas in the playoffs and then losing in the semis with Ring every year. They're all equally horrible. What's the best post-game slash tournament meal? In college, we always would go to Zaxby's and we'd always get a, uh, they don't have it anymore, but they would, you could get a big wig, wings and things. You can still get a wings and things now, but you can't get a big one. So yeah, that's, that's my favorite. Wings and things. Oh my God, that sounds delicious. It's it's amazing. It's Texas toast, fries, ch uh, chicken tenders, and wings uh, all together. You're dropping ultimate. What do you spend your time doing? Uh, probably playing with my son and uh, hanging out with my wife. Pretty good. So Charmander, Squirtle, or Bulbasaur? Uh, if you don't have an answer for this, then you're not a real ultimate player. Um, I, I got to go with Bulbasaur. I had the original blue uh, on the Game Boy color and Bulbasaur all day, every day. Razor, Razor Leaf is too good. Razor Leaf is too good. Go to Spike on a big score. Uh, I banged the disc off of my head and uh, thank God for getting me in the end zone. Best pregame tune to get you in the right headspace. This has really like changed over the years. I have like kind of been a, like gone to just like a lot of different music but i really like rock and roll by led zeppelin i feel like it just has like the right energy and i really enjoy the like last fourth of the song where they bring start bringing in the piano uh the keyboard in on it i just feel like it just like has it just bounces me and gets me going my last one, every single podcast, I've done some sort of competition between our own head coach, Mike Denardis, and the voice of Ultimate, Evan Lepler. Today, I ask you, if we put them out on a 100-yard sprint, who would win, Mike D or Evan Lepler? 
Uh, I mean, Mike's been showing up before practices this year and doing workouts. So I'm, I got us, I'm, I'm pretty sure Mike D is going to toast Evan. Like, uh, and I'm, we have a lot of games of the week. So I feel like we could definitely make this happen at some point. Oh, we've, we've definitely called Evan out a couple times. And I strongly feel that, I mean, given that he lives in North Carolina, that's why we have so many games of the week. And also yeah. it means that he can drive down and, and enjoy. Uh, we'll definitely have to do some things pregame. So. I mean, I think post game we could get him out there. I don't know. It doesn't necessarily have to be before the game. I think after the game, we we just get him out there and we see we see where this goes. The problem is, is that then the game will feel like only a prelude to the ultimate challenge. So, but. well, that's okay. I think that I th you know it gives us a whole a whole game to build it up. We'll have to see if Fox will be willing to cover it as well. That would be that would be amazing. I think that they would definitely like be able to tweet about this and like build up like a really nice like uh, following for it, especially if you did it over multiple weeks. Like, you know, I think feel like that would be a nice little addition to the broadcast on Wednesdays. We, we'd hope it at least makes Fox, Fox Sports too. But <laughs> all right, last part. So every week we do a shout out. It can be Frisbee or non-Frisbee, whatever's kind of on your, your mind and your soul. So um, what is your shout out to the world? I, I got to shout out my wife, Michelle and son, Judah, like, thank you, Michelle, for supporting us and being there and allowing me to, to play while you're taking care of Judah. So yeah, got to give them shout out and love. Awesome. Josh, thank you so much for coming on to the, the podcast. We're excited to check you guys out on June 5th in Atlanta against the hustle. And then more importantly for us, our first home game on June 12th in Durham County Memorial stadium against DC. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing you take the field and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks Luke. It was great to be on and looking forward to seeing all the fans on June 12th. One more huge thanks to Josh Hartzog for giving us his time and his thoughts. Remember, you can buy tickets for games coming up at raleigh-flyers.com. As always, our sound editor is Mr. Jonathan Liu, music by Kai Mosco, and I'm your host, Luke Mead, and this has been the Raleigh Pro Ultimate Podcast.